1 Samuel chapter 17. I want to read this portion of Scripture, and I know what's going to happen. As we start reading this account, you're going to check out mentally, most of you, if you're not careful. Because, see, most of you know this account, have heard this account from the time that you were a little bitty kid in children's church. You may have not even gone to church and you knew this story. Because we've all read it, we've all heard it. Even, I mean, I run into kids that have, have no experience in church and they know this account. But listen to me tonight. Don't check out as we're reading this. Stay with me just for a few minutes and, and I, because I want us to approach this from a, a different angle tonight. Just a little bit of a different angle. First Samuel chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read the first portion of verse 1 because I'm too scared to try to announce the names of those, those uh, cities that they, they were camped between. So we're going to cut it short. Uh-huh. Don't you like it when preachers are honest? These are hard names. I don't know why they have to be so hard. Why can't it be like Franklin Springs or something like that? But anyway, uh, it says, Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle, verse 2, and saw and the men of Israel were gathered and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array to encounter the Philistines. The Philistines stood on the mountain on one side while Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Then a champion came out from the armies of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was clothed with scale armor, which weighed 5,000 shekels of bronze. He also had bronze greaves on his legs and a bronze javelin swung between, slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and the head of his spear weighed 600 shekels of iron. His shield carrier also walked before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. And again, the Philistines said, I defy the rank of Israel this day. Give me a man with, that we may fight together. And when Saul and all, the Israel, and all Israel heard these words of the Philistines, they, they were dismayed and they were greatly afraid. Verse 20 says, So David arose early in the morning, and he left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. He came to the circle of the camp where the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper, and he ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. He was talking with him, and behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. And when all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled away from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up, and surely is coming up to defy Israel? And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Verse 28. Now Eliab, this is David's older brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, Why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart. For you've come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? I want to talk to you for a few nights, a few, a few moments tonight, not a few nights, <laughs> a few moments tonight 
about the fact that some of you need to get out of your tent. You need to leave your tent behind. See, we know this story. We know the account. We know all about the, the overpowered, overmatched, overwhelmed teenager that shows up on the battlefield to take, take on this well-trained, extremely uh, fortified, powerful, NBA-height, NFL girth giant. We know the account. We know what takes place. We know what takes place. But there are some truths in this account that I want you to catch in your spirit tonight. See, this is not a new story. This is not, this wasn't an unusual occurrence. The armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines were constantly at battle. In fact, you can go on and read more accounts about David and realize that every spring they would get together and they would fight army against army. The way they did it wasn't even that unusual. They, it makes common, it's common sense. One army would get up on one side of the mountain and the other army would get on the other side of the mountain and they would keep a valley between them because they understood that whoever commands the high ground cannot be defeated. There's a truth in there for you right now. If you stay on the high ground, you can't be defeated. If you won't cheat when everybody else cheats, if you won't plagiarize when everybody else plagiarizes, when you, you won't party when everybody else is party, as long as you're staying on the high ground, you can't be defeated. They understood that. Then it says that something else would happen. They, the army of Israel would get all their, their armor on. They'd get their, their breastplate on. They'd get their helmets on. They'd grab their spears, their bazookas, their, their machine guns, whatever it is they were fighting with, their swords, and they would go line up in battle array. They'd get their flags out, and they'd all march in order and get in their columns and their regiments, and the troops would all come out, and they'd show off for the enemy. But the Philistines would do the same thing. They'd get all their guys together, get all their weapons together. They'd line up, and they would stand and do what we used to do on the playground when we were in kindergarten, they'd begin to yell at one, or, one another, my daddy's bigger than your daddy, and my daddy can beat up your daddy, and all that kind of stuff, and they'd badmouth one another, and taunt one another, and jeer at one another, and, and trash talk each other, and they would do all that, and they would battle verbally. But then, you know, this is not like every other story, because there's one particular thing that makes this story unique, and you know what that is, and it is this. It was not uncommon that one army would send out a champion to face the other army's champion, and whoever won, won the battle. Why should all of us fight and die when what we can do is we can send out a champion, a representative, and they'll fight, and that'll determine the battle, and we won't all have to die. There's nothing unusual about that, except this time, you know what happened. The Bible says that the Philistines decide to send out their champion, whose name is Goliath. Now, depending on who you read after, Goliath was probably somewhere between seven foot seven and nine foot nine. Now, wouldn't you like to have him on the basketball team? He was huge. His 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 weapons were impressive. He caused fear. He, he just his mere presence was enough to cause people to run. But not only his presence. He knew how to trash talk really well. He would stand in that valley and he'd begin to shout at the armies of Israel and tell them, you know, send your champion. What's wrong with you? Are you just a bunch of cowards? Are you a little bit yellow? Don't you have anybody that can come and face me? And the Bible says that it caused so much fear in the hearts and minds of the men of Israel that they would turn every day for 40 days. This was not a one-time occurrence. This was over a month. They would do the same thing every day. They'd go up there and they'd listen to him rant and rave and they would do the same thing. The men of Israel would walk back into their camp. They would strip off their armor. They would lay down their swords. They would lay down their shields. And because they were so terrified and so afraid, they would step back into their tents and sit down and huddle in fear. Totally devastated by this man, this man of great size. You know that account. You know what happened. 
but there's some truths in here that I want you to listen to. You know what takes place is that David shows up. David has not been there. He doesn't know what's going on. But as soon as he arrives, he's been watching the sheep. But his daddy sends him with supplies. He shows up on the battlefield. He, he, he hears what's taking place. And so he begins to ask simple, innocent questions. What's, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, David's older brother, for the first time in 40 days, somebody attacks somebody. And it's David's older brother. And he looks at David and he says, you're just a naughty little boy. That's what it's really saying. He says, I see your insolence. You're, you're, you're rebellious. You're trying to make a name for yourself. One version says, says it just like that. You're here to try to make a name for yourself. You're shirking your responsibilities. You're supposed to be keeping the sheep. And here you are just because you wanted to see what the battlefield looked like. We, we left you back home. You weren't big enough to be here. You're just this young, young man that can't accomplish anything. And now you're here and you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Saul overhears it, and he begins to pick it up as well. He begins to say, David, you're not big enough to go out and face a giant. You don't have any abilities. You don't have any skills. You're not trained for this. You're a nobody, David. What do you think you're doing? They jump on the bandwagon, and you know what Saul does. He takes his armor, and he puts it on David, and it doesn't fit. There's a sermon in there that I, can't, I don't have time to preach. You can't wear somebody else's armor. It won't fit you. What fits them won't fit you. You've got to find your own armor. But David casts it off. Then you know the rest of the story. He goes out. He finds five stones. One would have done. He winds up. He throws the, the stone. It hits its mark. The giant is dead. Victory is won. Israel prevails. But now, let me tell you something. The first thing I want you to understand, here's the first principle. If you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. If you listen to the wrong voice long enough, you'll go back to your tent. If you listen to the wrong voice long enough, for 40 days this giant stood in the middle of the valley and challenged the men of Israel, and he mocked them, and they listened to him for so long that they began to believe him. Don't you think there was somebody there that could have taken him on? Don't you think there was somebody there? David certainly wasn't the obvious choice. There were better trained men. There were stronger men. There were taller men. Don't you believe that if one of them would have had faith to step out into the middle of that battlefield and say, you're defying my God, and I will not allow that to happen, don't you think the anointing of the Holy Spirit would have come upon him and he would have been able to challenge Goliath and kill Goliath? I believe that would have happened. But the problem was they listened to the wrong voice for so long that they begin to believe it, and it sent them back to, to their tent. And so my question to you tonight is, who's got your ear? What voice have you been listening to for so long that you begin to believe what that voice says until you tuck tail and turn and run back to your tent? See, for some of you, you've been listening to your past for so long that every time God begins to want to call you and use you and to cause you to fulfill your destiny and take territory, you hear the, the shout of your past for so long that what you've got to do is you've got to lay down your sword and lay down all the abilities and all the giftings and tuck tail and say, I can't come out of here because this is the safe place and I'm scared of what I'm hearing. I've listened to it for so long that now I believe it. For some of you, it's self-esteem issues. 
the devil or some other voice speaks into your, your ear. Maybe it was an aunt or an uncle. Maybe it's your mom or your dad or some friend that looks at you and says, you'll never amount to anything. You will never accomplish anything. You're just like your brother. You're just like your sister. You're just like your daddy. You're just like your grandpa. You will never be able to do anything. And your self-esteem issues, you look at yourself in the mirror and you can't deal with what you see. And so that voice of low self-esteem chases you back into your tent. Doubt. Anxiety, anger, whatever it may be, the voices shout. And I want to tell you something. If you listen long enough, you will find yourself in your tent. God has called each and every one of you to take territory, to kill giants, to accomplish great things for his kingdom. Whether you're in the pulpit or whether you're in a business room, doesn't really matter. He's got territory he wants you to take, but you can't take it from inside your tent. If you listen to the wrong voice long enough, the Bible declares that, that our mouth, it residing in our mouth, is the power of life and death. And what happens is, is when we let people get our ear and say the wrong things long enough, it produces death in us. I'm reminded, I was reminded this afternoon about the story, the Greek mythology about the, the group of men that were in the boat and there was this, this group of people or these beings called the sirens. Do you remember the song of the sirens? They would sing this song and anybody that listened to the song would become so enthralled by the song and so captured by the so song that they would run their boat up on the ground and die and perish. So the leader of that band said, tie me to the mast and he, he was strapped to the mast and all of his men took beeswax and stuck it in their ears. As long as their ears were plugged, they were safe. The song began, but because they couldn't hear it, they sailed on to, to safety. And what I want to say to you tonight is some of you need to plug up your ears. you got people saying things to you. A voice is calling to you. Just because it's the loudest voice doesn't mean it's the voice. I want to tell you right now, most of you have hundreds, if not thousands, of voices calling to you on a daily basis. They may not even be audible voices that other people can hear. I'm not talking about some schizophrenic reality of your mind. I'm talking about a spiritual warfare where there are voices from our society, voices from our, our dorm mates, voices from all over the radio. Boy, anything you can think of has a voice that is calling you, and sometimes it's loud. But there comes a time where you've got to silence all the other voices and clue in on the one voice that makes all the difference. If you listen too long, you'll go back to your tent. The second truth I think that I can prove to you, I, maybe it's my imagination, but I believe that what happens is, is every morning they get their armor on, they go out, and they experience this, this intimidation factor, and for 40 days, every morning, the same thing happens. They go home, they go back to their tents, they take all their armor off, and they huddle together in their tents. You know what I think they were thinking? And I think I can prove it to you because we do the same thing. I think that the men of Israel had come to the conclusion that if we ignore the giant long enough, he'll go away. If we'll just hang out in the tents for 40 days, we've been here for 40 days, and we come to the conclusion that if we just hang out in here long enough, He'll get bored, he'll get tired, he'll get annoyed, he'll have to go fight some other battle. If we ignore the giant of our life long enough, it'll go away. In fact, I think they came to this conclusion. If we can't see him, he can't see us. 
That sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? Except for the fact that we do that. See, for the way we do it is like this. We come to the conclusion, we come to the revelation that there is a giant in our life. See, I, I can say without any doubt that most of everyone under the sound of my voice, wh whether you're a college student or an adult, does not really matter. The truth is, is that most of us, if not of all of us, have a giant in our life. And so what we do is we come to a revelation, we, we, we name that giant, we recognize that giant. My giant is such and such. You fill in the blank. And what we do is most of us will begin to attempt to battle that giant and we suddenly come to a realization that this is hard work. For me to break the pattern of my life, for me to break the habits, for me to break the addictions, for me to, to battle this temptation and get over this is really hard work. So what I think I'll do is instead of dealing with God, what God told me to deal with, instead of taking on this giant and going ahead and winning victory, what I would prefer to do is I'll just go hang out in my tent because if I hang out here long enough, maybe the giant will go away. You know how I know that's true? Because a lot of you have had God speak words into your life either through a sermon or through a prophetic word or for, through an accountability partner that said you need to cut this area out of your life. There's a relationship in your life that you need to get rid of. There's a habit in your life that you need to break. There's a cycle in your life that needs to be destroyed. And you know what we'll do? We'll fight it for a little while and then when we get tired or when we get scared or we realize that this is going to take some time or this is hard work, we'll run back to our tent and say, you know what? I'm just not going to pay any attention to this and if I'll just ignore it long enough, I I've been doing good for about three weeks now. I've been, I've been taking care of business for about three weeks, but it's just too hard to go any longer than that. So if I get in my tent, maybe the giant will disappear. I, will, I got news for you. Giants don't fade, they fight. I got news for you. You can say, you can go hang out in your tent and hide for the rest of your life, but let me just give you some wisdom now that I'm out of college and now that I've had some life experience. If you don't deal with the issues and the giants of your life right now, when you wake up 20 years from now, ready to accomplish something from God, the moment you take one step outside that tent, that giant will be there waiting on you. Well, I'll just have that issue when I'm in college. When I move off somewhere and begin to do something for God, I'll be like, no, baby, that's just geography. You just change locations. The giants will travel. They got frequent flyer miles. I got news for you. They will show up on your doorstep tomorrow and the next week and the next month and for the rest of your life. If you're not willing to deal with your giant, it will follow you for the rest of your life. If you've got an issue at Emmanuel College, it will be with you for the rest of your life unless you deal with it while you are at Emmanuel College. In fact, I can prove that to you by the life of King Saul. The Bible says that King Saul went out on the battlefield. The Bible says that God had told him, you need to kill every, every Amalekite. You remember the story? The Bible says that Saul almost did what God said. How many of you do almost what God said to do? And what, what happens is he leaves a couple alive. And the Bible says that Saul continues his reign as king. But on the day that Saul died, guess who killed him? An Amalekite teaching us this, what you don't kill will kill you. The issue that you, ref you, you refuse to deal with, the issue that you refuse to face will come back and destroy you if you're not willing to destroy it first. So if you've got a problem with pornography while you're here, it won't get better when you get out of here. 
If you've got a problem with drinking now, don't think just because you leave the college environment that that problem won't follow you if you don't deal with it now. If you've got a problem with gossip now, don't you think that just, oh, it's just my dorm. If I wasn't in that dorm, it would be, no. I got news for you. There are issues of your life that if you don't face them right now, when you're 45 years old and got 62 children, you will still have the same problem of your life if you don't kill the giant now. You can't ignore the giant. Somebody has got to step outside the gym and say, come on, baby, bring it on. That's where you got to get. The third lesson I want to teach you is this. Other people will try to keep you in your sin. The Bible says that David shows up on the scene. He hasn't heard the, the intimidating voice of the giant. He's still listening to the voice. He shows up and he sees what's happening and he begins to ask questions. And Eliab attacks him, his oldest brother. Basically tells David this, you're a nothing, you can't do nothing, you're a nobody. Why are you bother? Then Saul jumps on the bandwagon, as I've already mentioned. He chimes right in, yeah, David, you can't do this. And what I learned from that is this, Eliab was comfortable in his tent. Saul was comfortable in his tent. You know what? They wanted David to be comfortable too. They wanted to put their failures and their shortcomings and their lack of faith and their fear on David. They wanted David to shut up and be quiet and sit down. Isn't it interesting that it was two groups of people that did that to David? It was his own family and it was his leaders. I got news for you. Those closest to you, if you will let them will construct a tent and then try to get you to step in that tent for the rest of your life. Let me just tell you how it is. If you go home tonight, get in the privacy of your dorm room, and you begin to seek the face of God and say, God, I want more of you. I'm so hungry for you. I can't stand my life the way it has been, and I want more of you. I got some bad news for you. Your roommates, most of you, will have roommates that will look at you and say, hey, come back here in the tent. It's more comfortable in here. We constructed this tent. We worked hard to get comfortable in here. We've got it all structured, all nice and neat. Wouldn't it just be better if you'd come sit back down in the tent and hang out with us in here? Why do they do that? Because if you get more of God, it will expose their lack of God. It will force them to come face to face with their own problems. It will expose them for who they really are. And if you seek God and they don't seek God, it will make them look bad. So they will want you to hang out in the tent and be comfortable. It's more comfortable in there. For some of you, you've seen that played out with who you date. Because if you begin to seek God and follow hard after God and want to fulfill the destiny of God on your life, you know what happens. That young man will squeeze that hand and say, no, baby, you can't go up there, man. Everybody's looking up there. I ain't going up there. I'm too cool for that. If you get serious about God, we're just going to have to break up. What are they doing? They're saying, come on, sit down in the tent. We, we, we constructed this. This is our boundary. This is our limit. We can't experience any more than this. This is what we're, sa we're, we're satisfied with. This is what I'm comfortable with. I understand its parameters. I understand its limits. I worked hard to establish this. God can't move outside. This little box right here, and if you try to step out, no, no, it's too, it's too dangerous out there. There's a risk factor out there that you might go off the deep end. So come back in here and sit down with me. I want to be comfortable. I got to be careful, but but I, hey, I'm not. I wasn't asked. I, I may never be asked back, but I'm just going to tell you how it is now. So you better listen. 
Some of you got faculty members and staff members that will try to keep you in their tent. If you get excited about God, they'll go, uh-uh. Don't you understand that the Bible says that we have to worship God in truth? There can't be any spirit. It's only about truth. If I can just get enough knowledge about God, if it's all an intellectual thing for me, that's my tent. I built this tent. I'm, I'm comfortable with this tent. If I can just figure God out with my mind, you don't need all this hooping and shouting and jumping up and down and dancing. Baptism of the Holy Spirit. No, baby, you just come and hang out in my tent. This is comfortable for me. And so since I work so hard to construct this thing and I understand this thing and it's safe for me, why don't you just come hang out in here with me? The opposite is true as well now. Because you're going to have some friends that are going to show up that all they want to do is dance and shout. They don't have a clue what they're dancing and shouting about. They got no truth in their life. They've only got spirit. And what, what you've got to say to them is, look, I understand that we're supposed to have a uh, to worship God in spirit, but there's got to be some truth too. If I just hang out in this craziness and jumping up and down and swinging off the chandeliers and I still go out and sleep with my girlfriend and drink on Friday night, then I'm just living in your tent and your tent won't fit me and i got to get out of this thing. People will try to keep you in their comfort zone. And what you've got to do is what David did. When somebody comes to you and says, you can't do that, you, we're not comfortable, come be comfortable with us, you've got to do two things. First, you've got to remind them about the cause. David basically said, I can't hang out with you in the tent. I was never fashioned to be a tent dweller. Hear me tonight. Don't buy the lie. You were never called to Emmanuel to learn how to dwell in tents. You were never called to learn how to spend your time in a tent. That is not what God... He's got great things for you to accomplish. And the second thing he did is he reminded them about the one who could use them. He gave me lions and bears into my hands. That's what you do. When somebody wants to try to force you into their comfort zone, their box of God, the territory that they're, they're okay with, and don't want you to step out of that side of that, you go, oh, my cause is too big. And not only that, my God is too big. There's got to be more out there than what you've experienced. You've got people in this place who will try to confine you to their experience. And I'm not caught, I'm not talking, hear me now. I'm not talking about casting off restraint and throwing in all the wisdom and knowledge and saying you don't have a clue, there's a new thing. No, I am saying that we, we come to the place where we take it all and we marry it together and we learn to worship God in spirit and in truth. And we learn to marry it all together and understand that, yeah, I am not capable in my own abilities. I am not capable by my own power. But by God's power, everything is possible. So I can't live and die in your tent. i got to take my own tent. It can't be one or the other. And I'm, I'm on thin ice here, but I was campus pastor for two years at Southwestern, and one of the last messages I preached there, maybe it was the last, preached it, <laughs> was a message called, There's No Life on Mars, dealing with Paul's experience at Mars Hill, where he basically taught them that you can't have one without the other. There has to be balance. If you're all swinging from the chandeliers and you don't know the word, you're unbalanced. 
But if you can quote the word, recite the word, know all the Greek, Hebrew, Arabic, whatever other kind of language you want to know, be able to just quote it verbatim, can take all the Old Testament tests and pass them with flying colors, but you don't have any life in you, you're just as unbound. Don't live in the tent. The final thing I'd say to you tonight is this. You can't intimidate giants. You have to kill them. See, you got to go back to what was taking place here. Every morning of their life, they would dress up in battle regalia. They would put on their armor. They would walk in lockstep. They would march. They would get lined up. And then they'd go through their soldier show. They'd, would that all yell together, shout together, do what soldiers do? They had the right tools. They had the right looks. They had the right sound. But as soon as they got through their little show, the giant was still standing there. Why? Because the giant seen the show before. They couldn't intimidate him. He'd seen it all before. See, see, the reason that's important, because here's some of you. You're hanging out in your tent, and the giant shows back up, and you go through your soldier show expecting him to tuck tail and run. You get in your little tent, and when the giant shows back up that you've been fighting all these years, you do your little jig inside your tent that you've always done, man, I'm going to dance my dance, I'm going to shout my shout, I'm going to talk my tongue, I'm going to cry my cry, and I'm expecting that to intimidate that giant to the point that he goes, I can't handle this, I'm getting out of here. I got news for you, you can hang out in your tent all day and shout at the top of your, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus, devil, I will not fall, I will, you can do all that you want to do and it won't bother him one bit, you know why? He's seen it before. Won't intimidate him a lick. You know what will scare the mess out of him? Walk outside your tent. See, that's the only thing that works. You can hide in your tent all you want to, worship all you want to, shout all you want to, dance all you want to, slobber all you want to, do what all you want to do. And I got news for you. The devil has seen it before. Well, if I just pray in tongues long enough, he's heard it. He might not understand it, but he's heard it. If I just get more Bible knowledge, that'll scare him off. He knows the word. Better folks than us have quoted it out. If I give me some more contemporary Christian music, man, that'll probably drive him out of my car. I got news for you. He's heard it all before. Some of you have gone into your tent and you've shouted at things. Lust, I shout at you. Pain, I shout at you. The de devastation of my life that I dealt with six months ago, six years ago, Ten years ago, I shout at you, I refuse to live in bondage, and you walk right, you'll stay right in your tent and be in bondage for the rest of your life. But the moment that you step out, the giants can't be intimidated, but they can be killed. It's time to get out of your tent, face off, and either kill the giant or die trying. Why stay in the tent the rest of your life? The Bible says that the kingdom of violence, the kingdom of God suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. What he's basically saying to us, it's time to get out of our tents, shake off our apathy, shake off our uh, lethargic spirit, and, and say, you know what? I've lived in here long enough. It's been comfortable. But there comes a time when this thing that I have been dealing with, this bondage, this addiction, this pain, this devastation, this fear, whatever it may be, we come to the place where we say, you know what? I refuse to live like this any longer.
A shout won't fix that. A dance won't fix that. A counseling session won't fix that. But a sword swung as hard as it can be swung at his head will fix it. It will fix it. And the reason some of you continue to deal with the same issues and the same hurts and the same pain is because you're trying the same strategy over and over and over again. You've been to the altar. Well, Steve, you don't understand. I fasted and I prayed and I've gone to every service and I've listened to every CD and I've read every book and I'm still in the same shape. He's seen it all before. But if you step out on the basket, refuse to stand that thing, and lay a blade up against his head, What I want to do this evening is this. I want to challenge you first to make sure that you're listening to the right voice. Some of you need, we talked about this some last night, some of you just need to change who you've been listening to. It may not even be people. Secondly, some of you As, as I was praying over this service, I just, I, this is in my spirit, I sense it from some of you just need to draw a line and say, I'm not going back in there, regardless of who tries to get me to stay there. You can't intimidate. I want you to stand with me today. One of my favorite authors was Jamie Buckingham. One of the things that he he said when he was alive, wrote it when he was alive, that has stuck in my spirit ever since then, the first time I read it, was this. He made this statement. He said, attempt something so big for God that unless God intervenes, it'll fail. What's he talking about? What's he saying? He's saying you've got to get out of your tent. You can live safe. You can live comfortable. You can live apathetic the rest of your life. You know what? The devil lets you stay in your tent all day and have church all you want to. It won't bother him one bit. It won't change one thing. You can cross this street and come in here and have church every time chapel's opened up. It won't bother him one bit. You can have all-night prayer meetings in the dorm. This is going to sound weird, but it won't bother him one bit. He's seen all that before. If you go to those things and do those things, and then you get up and you go right back into defeat, you go right back into apathy, you go right back into the same things you've always done, hanging out with the same people, I just heard somewhere they're doing the same thing the same way, expecting different results is called insane. The only thing that changes anything is to take the tent down and say, you know what? I've lived in here long enough and it may not be as comfortable and it may not be as convenient and it may be risky 
My professors may not like it. My roommate might not like it. My mom and daddy might not like it. They may not understand it. They may not be able to deal with it. I've lived in the tent long enough. See, I got a question for you tonight. How long do you have to stay in the tent until you're ready? Where does the Bible say that God's trained your hands to sweep out a tent for the rest of your life? Where does the Bible say that He's trained you to hang out in the comfort zone for the rest of your life? If I'm not mistaken, the Bible says He's trained our hands for war. You are not destined to be a tent dweller for the rest of your life. You can stay there if you want to. It's comfortable. But if you're going to take territory, if you're going to win victories, and you're going to change the course of history, you got to take on the giant. See, some of you are scared right now because you've been facing the same giant for a long time and you've tried everything I've talked about and you're scared that as soon as you walk out those doors, that giant's going to show up. You know what? He will. Unless you kill him first. That's the only solution. Father, you know our hearts. You know the deep, guarded secrets of our lives. We can stand in here and go through our soldier shows all we want to. The reality is, is that most of us have giants in our lives that we're facing, issues that we're facing, that have caused us pain, that have intimidated us, that have caused us to be less than effective, defeated. There are giants in our lives that have caused us to hang out in the safe areas. Father, tonight my prayer is this. Make us uncomfortable in the tent. Our own tent or anybody else's. God, there are some young men and women standing in this room tonight that are going to have people coming alongside them. Roommates, boyfriends, girlfriends, best friends, faculty members, staff members. Even out of good intentions, they will try to tempt them. They will try to get them to settle for what's comfortable. But Father, tonight I pray that you would stir up within us a spirit of restlessness, hunger, so that we will take down our tents and we will kick our way out of anybody else's tent. We will step out on that battlefield and we will go to war. Father, if there's any young lady in here or any young man in here that's been battling a giant for years, They've tried all they know to try and they still find themselves facing the same issue. And they've gone into the tent and they've sat down coming to the conclusion that it's always going to be this way and I'll just stay in here and maybe the giant will go away. Father, I pray tonight that you would cause them to have the courage to go to war. God, the, the giant won't go away. So I pray that you would allow them to kill what they need to kill so that that thing won't come back and kill them. Challenge us to fight the God. That's my prayer. That's my prayer.
Let's do this together. Will you? I know we did this last night, but I want us to do this for right now. I, I think this is so important. I want you just to lay your hands next to your ears. The Bible declares that we live on the Word of God, that it's the Word of God that sustains us. It's the Word of God that we live on, that, it, that causes us to even exist. The Bible says that we live on the proceeding Word of God, not the preceding. The Word that we heard when we were 12, the Word that we heard when we were 16, that we live on the Word that's coming out of His mouth right now. God is always speaking. Our dilemma is, is we're not always listening. So Father, right now, as we lay our hands on our ears, I pray that You would do two things. First, I pray that You would stop our ears up to every other voice. Whether it be a person, a song, a spirit, an attitude, whatever that voice may be that calls to us and tries to woo us into staying in the comfort zone, God, help us to close our ears. And then, Father, I pray that what you would do in in exchange for that, your word teaches us that the sheep know the shepherd's voice. So help us to tune into that still, small voice that is you. That all the other voices try to drown out. Father, I pray that in the name of Jesus that we would tune so carefully into your voice that you all you have to do is whisper, see, and I'll respond. God, I pray that your voice would drown out every other voice. second thing I want us to do is this. I want you to just turn the opposite direction that you're facing now. Just right there where you're standing. See, I think what we like to do is we like to ignore the giants. If if we just face the other direction long enough and we turn back around, we won't have to deal with it. It'll be gone. But I've already told you, you can't ignore your giant. When you turn around, it'll still be there. So, Father, tonight I pray that you'd give us the courage, the guts, the determination to face our giants head on. That we can fool ourselves into thinking that if we can change our environment or even change our location, that the giant won't go with us. But God, we know that's a lie. That's just geography that hasn't really changed anything. So Father, tonight I pray that what you would allow us to do is I pray that in the name of Jesus, you would allow us to turn and face the issues of our life. Even if we've been defeated a hundred times before, I pray that we would have the guts to turn and face one more time kill it before it destroys us. I want you, if you've got the guts, I want you to turn back around signifying that I'm willing to face every issue as unpleasant, as difficult as it may be. I'm willing to face it head on. I'll just tell you tonight, tonight's your night. If you'll deal with it tonight, you can walk out of here in freedom and liberty.
and live the rest of your life able to accomplish and take territory from God. Good night, your night.